Welcome to Ratchet & Wrench Radio, Ratchet & Wrench's official podcast helping automotive repair shop operators make money, save money, and work smarter. I'm Chris Jones, editor for Ratchet & Wrench, and today we have a great episode for you. I'm sitting down with Ratchet & Wrench columnist and founder of ShopFix Academy, Aaron Stokes. This is going to be a regular occurrence I'm calling Stokes Second Tuesday. Every second Tuesday of the month, I'm going to have Aaron come on and we're going to discuss ideas from his column. So today, Aaron and I are going to talk about how to grow your business through car count. And if that sounds familiar, his March column bore that same name. And we're going to unpack all of the concepts within the column to give you a fuller picture. So buckle up and get ready. Here's Aaron. Hey, Aaron, welcome back to Ratchet and Wrench Radio. Hey, man. Thanks for having me. How are you? I'm doing well, man. It's uh, just a great day, you know, getting through, getting through. So I'm excited about uh, what's coming up. I mean, you know, we've just finished wrapping up Q1 of 2022. How's business for you and what's exciting? Man, uh, our shops are just insanely busy right now. Uh, hit a, a record March, biggest March we've ever had, uh, had in our history and super excited. A couple of our stores hit all-time records and uh, yeah, very blessed. Very, very thankful. Yeah. So what are you excited most about this year? Like what's really got you jazzed up about 2022? You know, um, I, I think 2022, uh, we, I'm excited about multiple things, but we are in a period where everybody's trying to meet the supply demand, the labor demand, um, et cetera. And I, I just think that we have people trying harder than they've ever been trying. And I love seeing the talent of uh, Americans and their ingenuity and their drive to get, you know, what it is that the consumer wants uh, delivered and get it done. And I'm just excited to be a part of that. Honestly, I've never seen so much new stuff coming out like I have this year already in the first quarter. And I think that's pretty cool to see from technology to uh, the car manufacturers rolling out new models, et cetera. It's just stuff that I'm excited about. They're finally going to release Top Gun. You know, yeah. Oh, good, good, fabric, good. It's been a while. Whenever, yeah. yeah, they just keep bumping it. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I'm I'm excited about all that stuff. Um, uh, it's it's just good to be in the industry right now. It, it's a very good time. Yeah, yeah. So, tell us one industry trend that you spotted this year that shop owners should pay attention to. You know, uh, shop owners should pay attention to in, uh, interest rates. As interest rates climb we uh, see a decline in the economy, but it saves the value of the currency. Our currency is U.S. dollars. And as we know, U.S. dollars are falling quickly and gas prices are rising, which, you know, hurts consumers. They don't have as much money that they can spend. Um, And then on top of that, it causes everything to be more expensive because everything we own comes on a truck. You know, toilet paper comes on a truck. Uh, You know, bottled water like this comes on a truck. Everything comes on a truck. And so whether it's uh, a train that is an electric locomotive, but people don't realize that um, they are electric motors that drive those trains, but they are diesel generators. Or if it's a diesel truck going down the interstate, no matter what it is, uh, it comes on a truck and it runs on diesel. And diesel is expensive right now. It went up more than gasoline. So uh, the war in uh, uh, Ukraine and Russia is not helping. And, uh, you know, uh, all of it combined, it, it's causing pain. So if we watch what the Federal Reserve is doing, the Fed sees that the average consumer 
maybe they have their income go up 5%, but inflation they're claiming is 6, 7, 8%, right? Well, they changed the way they calculate it. It's actually closer to 15%. And they changed this back in the 80s when the last ran, uh, run happened with this. And most people haven't caught this. And so because they actually calculate it differently, they can claim that it's only 5 to 8%. But let's be real. If it was you and me, we'd never even notice 5 to 8%. You notice when your gas tank costs twice. You notice when your groceries are twice. You notice when a used car is supposed to go down in value is up 50%. Like, it is not 5%. And so we need to pay attention because what's happening is it's not that the item is really getting more expensive. It's that the dollar is devaluing. And then what's happening is you have demand on top of that that people can't meet. Well, why, why is there so much demand? The demand is out there because all of our friends that are in the late 50s, early 60s, when COVID scared them, if you remember what happened with the stock market, it exploded. It went straight up. The government pumped all this money, 40% of the money that's in the stock market today was put in in the last 24 months. That's very scary. We've never seen so much money printing. So because of that, that's going to affect the economy. And people may go, what does that have to do with auto repair? It's everything, honestly. As this starts to really trickle down to all of us normal people, and we see this taking off and getting crazy uh, in the stock market, we're going to see a couple things develop. One of which is going to be as demand increases in these 55 to 65 that normally would have retired at 67 to 75 uh, or 66 to 75, they have retired early. Well, now what are we seeing with the stock market? The stock market, as they raise interest rates, is starting to go down. As it continues to go down, what ends up happening is those people say, oh, crap, honey, I mean, we were living off of our dividends and we were living off of this, living off of that. Uh, we, I got to go back to work. I can't keep doing this. And so as they continue to come back into the workplace, we have a shortage of labor. That shortage will be relieved. Well, then that will drive down wages as we still at the same time have inflation going up, which will make it even worse. So we're going to come into a period where things are going to dip down and uh, we're actually going to see a worse situation than what we saw in 08 in some ways, because 08 was real estate driven. This won't be so much real estate driven. This is going to be jobs driven. And as we start to see it go down and turn, when people can't make as much money or the economy is down, they don't buy new cars. Not because they can't get them like now, but because they can't go, uh, uh, they can't put the money into the car they've got because, I'm sorry, they can't go put their money into a new car because they can't afford it. So let's think about it. The consumers have had more money in their pocket than ever but the money's burning through their hands quicker than ever. So that's what's driven a lot of auto repair to jump. What we're gonna see this next time is probably gonna be a slight slowdown for auto repair, but not a big dip where we're gonna see everything else dip. We're not gonna see a big dip because people won't choose to buy new cars. They'll just fix what they have to. Um, this government money will run out and all of us need to pay attention to interest rates because the government, the Fed in particular, they are charged by Congress to keep people employed and keep the country economy growing. And now they're going to continue to raise, I mean, interest rates have jumped a point. They will continue to raise interest rates until we feel the pain. Well, if you notice a habit with the Fed is they always overcorrect. 
they gave out too much money and it caused a lot of people not to work and it caused all the stuff we're dealing with now. And now we're on the other side. And I don't want to make this whole talk about monetary policy. So I don't want to get into all that. But at the end of the day, the Fed will overcorrect. And if they overcorrect, we will see a slowdown in housing. We will see a slowdown in borrowing to be able to buy a car. And we will see the currency gain value. So that means the dollar will go up in value. And we need to do that because if our dollar drops too much in value, they won't use it around the world. And uh, it won't, the, that currency won't be used to trade in oil. And what we'll see is them using the yen or something else. And now because of the sanctions we put on Russia, they're now only able to use rubles, which have also taken those dollars out of currency, which has actually made our situation even worse. So a lot of people don't understand that. They just want to stop Putin, the bad man. But what they don't realize is that also affects you and I at the gas pump. And when we buy a gallon of milk and when we buy a box of cereal or a bag of Doritos, it shows up in all of it because we're a worldwide economy now. Don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to say Putin's a good guy or we should support him. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying that we need to pay attention to the changes we're doing because they are affecting all of us consumers in our pocketbook. That will affect our consumers that are driving cars. That will affect what they can afford to spend with us. And I think what we're going to see is probably a little scary moment. Um, like we saw in 08, right when it happened for a couple months, I think it will settle. And then we will see people not buy cars for a while. And we will see actually auto repair continue on this uptrend. I think a minimum, probably a five-year run of auto repair being very, very busy. I think we'll have a dip right when we see this next downturn but I think it'll come back up. I think the next five years will be very busy for us, potentially seven to eight. You look at the last run uh, under Bush's watch, it started to fall under Obama, it started coming back up. And it, but it really, from about 2009, where we all felt the pain, it was like that until about 15, when it finally started to come back, but not till 16, where we actually said we're back. So um it's, it's been a long run, and we typically have a downturn every eight years, and we are way over eight years. So uh, I think shop owners should really be paying attention to interest rates. It's going to affect the price to buy an auto repair shop, the price to buy a house, and it should lower gas prices, but at the cost of hurting some jobs as the elderly or not even elderly, the ones that are just retiring early, come back into the job workforce market. Um, we will, I mean, we're at a lower, I think, I think it's the lowest in 20 years participation in the labor market. We've got the people to do the work. They don't want to do it. They're living off their money in the stock market. So that's all going to shift and it's going to make all of us busier. But a lot of shop owners in 08 blamed the economy for why they slowed down. It was a self-fulfilling prophecy. So these owners on here have to make sure that when it turns down, they don't panic if their money is in the market and it goes down. Instead, they got to go, this is a good thing. I'm going to be able to grow my business. We're going to come out of this. It's only temporary, et cetera, et cetera. If they go into it with a negative mindset and say, oh my gosh, we're going to, we're going to be in trouble. We're going to lose it all and pull back and stop marketing. They will actually cause their shop to shrink and get smaller because it'll be a self-fulfilling prophecy. They'll believe they should slow down. In actuality, in healthy economies, auto repair should just be okay. In bad economies, auto repair traditionally has been awesome. So super long answer. <laughs> a little too deep there probably but i i think for the ones that get into this stuff they'll, they'll appreciate it yeah yeah but that's something that you know bob cushing had alluded to uh stx he talked about just this automotive sweet spot that we're about to get into with cars that are you know six to twelve years old and just for auto shops to really be prepared to service those cars figure out which cars those are where to get the parts and be ready to service cars that are in that sweet spot because 
people are keeping their cars. They're they're accepting higher ROs because they don't want to spend money on new cars. And that's just that's where we're at right now. He's absolutely right. And people that worry about electric, it's going to be the same thing. I mean, uh, all, all of these cars are left in the snow, left in the hot sun, uh, driven over rough roads, uh, left in the rain, beat up, shaken, put back. You know, everything breaks and we're going to keep working. In, and uh, I don't know why people keep worrying about it, but uh, everything. Yeah. I mean, I just, you know, my wife just recently had a car repaired maybe a month ago. And, you know, the repair order was, you know, I think thirty six hundred. You know, just to yeah. get everything fixed. We're like, oh, just fix it like it's new. It's kind of, it's kind of been our mindset to fix it all, get it all done. Let's yeah. get it all running and working order, get you know, inspection happy and everything, and let's just move on. And that's just, that's just, I think, the mindset of a lot of people. Smart. I mean, if you right now said, hey, honey, let's let's go buy a new car. You're going to pay more for a car than you've ever paid. And when this economy turns down, it's going to drop faster than it's ever dropped. Yeah. By you that is true. what you got. You, I mean, and let's think what would normally people do? They put forty thousand dollars, fifty thousand. I mean, forty thousand better get you a Honda Civic these days, but <laughs> you know, they put forty grand towards a car and it would be a thirty six hundred dollar problem. And so, a lot of people will throw forty grand at a four thousand dollar problem instead of just appropriately throwing four thousand at a four thousand dollar problem. So, you, you were smart, that was a good decision. Yeah, man. So let's talk about your column. Let's break that down, you know, growing your business through car count. You know, you mentioned springtime being the time of year when shop owners really need to grab the lion's share of the market. So why is that? The the reason why is because there's this mentality out there that the summer's when you make all your money in our industry. And it's because of AC and families traveling. Uh, you know, everybody's doing more in the summer. We have more daylight. So, yeah, I, I mentality. But it's not 100% true. And I think a lot of people sometimes get into a situation where they sometimes believe that, you know, this is, how's the best way to say it? The, uh, the summer is the only time I'll be profitable and the rest of the year I lose money. Or the summer is the only time this is all going to make sense for me. The rest of the time, you know, I, I, I just survive, you know, I break even. And that's just not true. And I think, the whole goal here needs to be to grow. If, if you can outrun your overhead, if you can have a larger operation, you're able to get ahead of it. And a lot of shop owners get to a level where they're just comfortable and they go, I'm going to make money in the summer and the rest of the year I'm going to get by. And that's just how it's going to be. And again, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. They don't think they can have record months in a February or record months in a November and they can. And so I, I'm a big uh, proponent of, being pro growth and getting your shop to a place where it can um, handle itself and you're not over there babysitting all the time. So if that's the case, how do I focus on um, getting my shop to that correct size? Well, I'm going to take a busy time when other shop owners aren't as aggressive, which is typically spring. And I'm going to capitalize. Most shop owners are very aggressive in the summer, even though the spring is just as busy. It really is the busy season, March through August, but no one pays attention to March, April, and May. Instead, they all pay attention to June, July, and August. And I get why, but they're missing the boat. And so I try to encourage our people to take advantage of claiming market share in the spring and then profiting from it in the summer, because in the spring, your competition is not really paying attention. 
So, yeah. and so, so capturing the market, what does that mean? Is like in your own words, like when you say, Hey, we need to capture the market, what, what do shop owners need to take away from that? So let's say that a shop uh, has a bunch of new people move to a neighborhood that just got built down the street and those people need a shop to go to, but that shop's already in their mind busy. They don't add any technicians. They don't add any service advisors. They just get busy er. They might even make less money at the end of the day. And that's because they're fielding phone calls saying, I can't get to you for two weeks. I can't do this for two weeks. Ignoring the fact that 4,000 houses were just built at the end of the street. Those are customers. So we need to say yes to those customers. We need to claim those customers. We need to own those customers, take care of their Suburban, their Honda, their uh, Toyota, their Mercedes, everything in the driveway, their son's car, their daughter's car, their wife's car, the husband's car, the parents, the grandparents' car that maybe lives with them. What are we going to do? So they trust us with all their needs. And then once we own them as a customer, they'll come to us for oil changes. They'll come to us when they have a crack in their windshield. They'll come to us when their sunroof stops working. They'll come to us when their tire has a leak. We need to be that one-stop shop. And if we're going to be that one-stop shop, we need to pay attention to what it takes to get there. Like I'm a big proponent of selling tires and uh, you know, you don't have to be a major tire seller like discount tire, but selling enough tires that you own your customer. If you have discount tire competing with you in your market, I get it, but they only sell tires. But if you uh, make it a habit of letting customers go buy tires somewhere else, well, then they'll go to tire discounters. They'll go to Firestone, NTB, Midas, whoever. And then now you lost that customer. And if you are a independent that owns one of those franchises, it's the same thing for you. And so you really got to meet the need for all things transportation in that driveway. And if you can do that and get that customer convinced they need you, they're going to lean on you for everything because we we take care of some pretty important stuff. When they have a baby, we got them there. When they went to a funeral, we got them there. A graduation, we got them there. A wedding, we got them there. And we need to take that attitude seriously and be willing to serve our customer in, in all aspects. Okay. And so with that new customer acquisition, I'm sure shop owners may be concerned about their ability to handle that influx of volume. What do you say to that? Start growing technicians. Hire what you can. Work on yourself personally. Um, Fix the owner, fix the shop is a saying that I really believe in. So focus on fixing you. Make yourself an attractive leader that people want to work for. And then after that piece, we go to the next level. We're going to focus on growing our young technicians. A lot of us have young kids that want to work on cars. And then we run them off. Well, Aaron, they didn't put oil in the car. And you fire him and blew the engine. Well, if he did everything else great, he could have made the same level of mistake and just not check tire pressure on a car. One has a catastrophic outcome. One does not. But it's the same level of mistake. And so a lot of people... And what I mean by level is not as far as responsibility. One has a lot more responsibility attached to it. But my point is, it's the same level as far as the intelligence or brain power, et cetera, that it took to uh, uh, resolve that and not make that mistake. And so I'm a big proponent of focusing on those young kids and pouring into them. We just landed one at one of my stores recently that was not taken care of at the shop he was at, and we took care of it. So I, I really am a big believer in making sure that we raise up young men and young women in the industry. Don't run them off. Um, pour into them while you get the chance and uh, uh, build yourself an amazing crew five, six years later by focusing on helping those people become better. 
It's not yeah, hard. Yeah. You just got to want to. It just takes a lot of, yeah, it takes patience, desire. <laughs> and it's expensive. Yeah. But in five years, you're staffed. <laughs> How expensive is it to be not staffed? That's true. It's very true. The converse is always the worst, right? <laughs> in that situation. Right. Yeah. So on the customer side, you know, you recommend going out of your way to impress new customers. What are some ways shops can kick their customer service into high gear and turn these new customers into repeat customers later? I think the biggest one is to do what you say you're going to do. If it's going to be done Friday, have it done Friday. I'd say the next one, call them, text them, or email them back. Don't leave them in the dark. Like that's the number one level of customer service before bottled water, coffee machines, snacks, loaner cars, nice office. Just do what you say you're going to do and call them back. (laughs) You'll be 90% of what's out there. Just do those two. And so many people just think, oh, I don't have an update. Don't call them. There's a no update update. It's just part of it. Hey, just calling you, Mr. Smith. Just want to let you know. I don't have anything to tell you today, but I will soon. I'm still waiting on those parts. I'm still waiting on whatever. That's a no update update. Just get, you're building trust. And we need to make sure that our customers trust us until the point where they just come over there and drop the keys. And that's what we call a key dropper. And if we're going to want a whole you know, slew of key droppers coming in our shop at all the time to trust us, we got to give great service. So just give great service. And hey, I'm all for snacks and loaner cars and uh, coffee machines and all. I got all that. But that has to come after calling people back. The basics. <laughs> you know, I know right. it sounds crazy, but maybe we should call Bill and tell him his garden done. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, that's something that, you know, Michael Jordan talked about when he talked about just sticking to the fundamentals, doing the fundamentals well day in and day out. And you can't go wrong because if you don't do the fundamentals, the whole, you know, the bottom falls out. Dude, I watched that. What was that series called? The Last Dance, you did? Yeah. Oh, so good. If anybody's listening hasn't watched The Last Dance, I know you can get it on ESPN.com. And is it Prime or Netflix, maybe? One of them has it now. I don't remember which, but so many business lessons and leadership lessons and management lessons and personal development lessons. I mean, I think it's like eight episodes, maybe nine. I can't remember. But Michael Jordan's uh, entire career in that series and it's awesome called the last dance if any any of the listeners haven't watched it go watch it a smart guy smart business guy you don't think it but he's got his hands in a lot of deals and he didn't get there by accident yeah and what you said you know a few minutes ago just about the no update updates or just the basic updates you know when i dropped my wife's car off I got an up, i mean i was getting updates every single day whether it's a text or a phone call uh or be or both where the guy would say, hey, look, you know, we found the parts for the car. We're going to get the parts tomorrow. And then the next day we'll come and say, okay, we got the parts. We're going to start installing today. I mean, every day I got this update. And I was like, man, you're giving me the warm fuzzies, man. I, I like yeah. this. This is really good. <laughs> so did you go in there with the Ratchet and Wrench magazine and give it to him and tell him you're the editor? Oh, dude, you know what? Ironically, he's got uh, an entire spread on the wall. It was, it, was a, it was a shop that was featured in our magazine one time. Oh, did, 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 does he know you work at Ratchet and Wrench? He does, yeah. Oh, so he's got to give you good service now. <laughs> he's like, yeah. I don't want to piss him off. 
He'll be he'll be writing it up. Chris is gonna write a whole article on me. <laughs> My horrible experience at so-and-so automotive. Oh man, but it was great though. Like for me, that was the first time I'd ever been to a shop that was just that thorough on their customer service. And it was just Dude, it was phenomenal. You, it was a great experience. That. That's great. Yeah, it was a great experience. So talk about marketing collateral. You know, when you're going after capturing the market, what are you sending out? And how are you targeting customers? Okay, so um, I have multiple different, you know, things that I'm currently doing. So I'll, I'll just hit the high level ones so I don't overwhelm yeah. everybody. First off, um, in my opinion, social media can work well if it's authentic, like real pictures. So if you're going to hire a service to do it, okay, fine. Go take a million pictures of your shop and say, use this database for photos. Don't go pull something off the internet. Um, next, if you're going to do radio, make sure that you stick to conservative talk stations, sports talk stations, anything else. Those are the only two talk stations I know of first um, that have high volume of listeners. I'm only on a sports talk station and a conservative talk station. Why? Because people will listen to talk radio through the break because it's a cliffhanger. They want to hear the next topic. Music. If I like country, I'm going to jump to every country. If I like rap, I'm going to jump to every rap. If I like pop, I'm going to jump to every pop. You know, if I like classical, well, I don't like classical books. <laughs> <laughs> My father-in-law down the hall does. But, um, you know, it, it, you can just go find that on another station, right? So there's channels. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're in a downtown market, Pandora and Spotify can work really well for you because people are at a computer typing away with the radio in the background, right? Um, so you, you need to think about that when you have a tough market, like downtown markets are tough because it's really just drive by. No one lives there. Everybody drives to downtown and then drives back out of the city. So you got to be careful. Um, and then uh, with direct mail, you want to always make sure that you understand direct mail at a fundamental level um, beyond the card. I don't know if I have any, I don't have any on my desk right now, but uh Direct mail is extremely powerful and extremely complicated. It is the most complicated form of advertising out there. However, it's probably the most powerful. There is nothing that allows you to pick a neighborhood, not pick a neighborhood, add this neighborhood, not add that neighborhood, take that one street off, remove this one address for so cheap, so thoroughly. And people will tell me all the time, but no one checks their mail anymore. They don't do this. They don't do that. Sorry, they do. It still works. Look at Bed Bath & Beyond. They still to this day mail out a 20% off white coupon with a giant navy blue 20%. It's the same stupid offer. It never (laughs) And they do it all over the country. You never see Bed Bath & Beyond on TV or anything else. It's literally a direct mail business. And they stay blown out. So it it, it just comes down to how you want to run your business. Look at Chick-fil-A. Chick-fil-A did no TV and no radio until the last 24 months. They literally grew that business off of billboards, Cracker Barrel, all billboards. So people will tell me this doesn't work or that doesn't work. It's not true. When you find something that works for your industry, which direct mail works incredibly well for auto repair, you've got to double down and become very good at it. Funny pictures or funny ads or trustworthy ads, great headlines, um, great supporting paragraphs below those headlines, great photos, Great photos of the right cars on the car, great coupons, great offers. And people go, well, Aaron just wants you to be a coupon shop. That's not true. 
Coupon is like having gas out front at Costco or, or Sam's Club. It's real cheap. It gets them in the parking lot. Makes them want to be a part of your movement, your store, right? That's all we're doing. And then once they're there, you can have fair prices and everything else, but you've got to have a loss leader to get them in. You always need to have an offer. So I'm a big believer in this. And then with TV, I would never do normal TV. I would do cable TV and I would do news stations and sports stations. Same, same reason. People hold through the break. That's the only thing people watch live anymore. Now, uh, do they watch ABC, CBS, and NBC Live? Yes, but it usually can't justify the dollar amount that goes with it. That being said, the reason I say cable TV or dish is because you can advertise on that, and that allows you to pinpoint a neighborhood or a community, et cetera. It's spotlighting through Comcast or Charter Cable or whoever everybody's listening is using um, so all those services still work. Shoot, the newspaper still works. Go down south into Florida where all of the snowbirds live. It works. Southern California, Arizona, it works. The newspaper still works, believe it or not. So you need to think about where you live and what you're doing and then build a concept around that and be super, super efficient and then make sure that you have the ability to accept the work you advertise for. If you don't, then your advertising becomes just a hidden tax in your business. And it's not smart. All right. So taking it back inside the shop, you know, given that you've got, you've captured the market, people are coming in, you got the influx of volume. How do you keep your technicians happy? Cause they're going to be working. They're working hard over the course of the next couple of months. Right. Yeah. And uh, I'll tell you the other issue is uh, if you add too many technicians, they start taking, you know, saying there's not enough work for everybody. So how do we have it balanced where there's enough work for everyone? But yet at the same time, it's still busy. I've never, I'm a flat rate guy. I believe in flat rate. I believe in commission. That's what motivates a technician to do a good job and a quick job. Um, but I've never been one that believes in uh, stocking the shop up with technicians and starving these guys out. Um, and so I think there's a balance. And I think the owner has a responsibility to do that. And that may mean that there's a time you have to do a guarantee. And that may mean that there's a time uh, where you have to give a raise. Or that may be a time where a technician is not doing his job and you got to have a talk with him. You got to lower his pay, but you need to come up with that concept um, based on how they are performing and then have a straightforward, honest conversation and take care of them. We take care of our technicians and we've had techs that have worked for us for years. And uh, I would tell you that if, if you don't have technicians working for you long-term, and you're like, well, their box has wheels on it and they're going to quit. It's just part of the, the nature of it. I get it, but it doesn't have to be that way. So take care of your technicians. Do a good job. Be thorough. Provide the service that you need to provide. Make sure you get them um, uh, to show up to your shop. And then once they're at your shop, you keep them at your shop. It's not hard. You just got to you gotta decide you're going to invest back in them. And that may mean good lighting in the back epoxy floors or polished concrete floors, good equipment, um, heat. I, I know it's crazy to sound heat or just say heat, but so many shops don't even have heat. Um, working heat. That's another one. Yeah. Um, <laughs> computers at every station. Um, so they don't have to walk over and share one computer and have to wait. That way they can turn more hours. Uh, if you can afford an AC in the shop, all this stuff makes a difference. So you, you got to take care of your guys. All right. And then last question, you know, looking ahead to, you know, the summer, you know, once you've gone through the gamut of just getting things ramped up in spring, 
you know, when things start to level out maybe a little bit, when it's time to recalibrate and focus on growing those AROs again, uh, for some upselling is a dirty word. Like, you know, the idea of just selling is hard for some people. Uh, why is it uh, not, I mean, sorry, why is it um, not, re- not a responsible thing as a shop owner to not provide these itemized lists for a, a customer? If a customer comes in, they've got these things in the car, you, you know, you know, you have to upsell them. Why is it responsible to make sure that you do that? It's ridiculous that people think it's so bad. It's like if I go to the doctor and I find out and I go for a knee pain and he finds out that my blood pressure is high and he doesn't tell me, I'm pissed. If I'm driving down the interstate going to Florida for vacation and my car breaks down the side of the road, I'm pissed. You could have told me that my belt was worn before it broke. If my cars do a timing belt and they don't tell me because it's, quote, upselling and I drive it till it breaks. Now, my engine's blown permanently. I'm pissed. What, what is so hard about upselling? If it ethically needs it, you have a fiduciary responsibility you have an ethical responsibility to that customer to tell them what is wrong with their vehicle. I mean, if a plane's at 40,000 feet and uh, the last time it was, if you're on a Southwest plane, the last time it was on the ground, the mechanic looked at it and said, man, this thing needs a new fuel line, but I don't want to upsell them. <laughs> you mean, yes. I mean, you want that thing perfect in all times. Parts have a, have a life to them. And, a car with 200,000 miles, every part on it might only have 10% of its life. And slowly, one part gets down to 5%, then 3%, 2%, 1%, and it breaks. Then another part breaks, another part breaks. I want a mechanic that's ahead of that telling me about those items because I don't want to get left. I don't want to be stranded on the side of the road. You may go, well, they don't want to put that kind of money in their car. Any customer can put uh, you know, three to $5,000 a year into a car and buy those miles, stay out of debt, and decide, oh, I'm spending too much money, I wanna buy a car. They can make that decision. But the real reality is if it's a good car, they can put five grand into it. The next year, they might only put 800 in it. The next year, maybe only 300. The next year, nothing, and then another five grand. So then the math works out to be a whole lot better. So as long as it's a good car, it's always worth putting the money in. And these owners that get hung up, I'm sorry, I get passionate about this, but these owners that get hung up on, well, it's not worth putting in it. If it's a little beat up Honda Accord with 250,000 battery miles, is full. And it, that, that and that car is sitting there and it's um it's got 250,000 miles on it. Um it's got good you know the whole thing is looking good and it's it's running well. At that point you've got to stop and say to yourself, wait a second. I think this thing's fine. I'm going to continue to let this thing go. I I'm I, I'm 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 going I shouldn't say let it go. I'm going to continue to drive it. I'm going to put the money into it because if he tells you it needs a thousand dollar engine, uh, that's uh, you know, in normally in no engines a thousand dollars, but let's say a thousand dollar whatever, you can sit here and go, well, the car's only worth a grand. But if it's got four good tires, good brakes, cold air, and it drives, it's worth more than a grand. It's only worth a grand, but it's technically worth more. Think about it. You can't go out for a thousand dollars and buy anything that will go down the road. Anything, and if you can. It's only going to do it for a couple hours and it's going to break down. (laughs) So you have to say to yourself, okay, this car is totaled out. And if I was to go find this car, let's say it needed a transmission for three grand. If I see it sitting there for three grand and it needs a transmission, I've got to ask myself a hard question. This car is basically totaled out. If I saw it on a used car lot for $3,000, would I be willing to go pay $3,000 to buy that car again and have a three-year 36,000-mile warranty on it? 
if I looked at you and said, okay, Chris, would you, your car's total. And right now you can find one, same color, same wear marks, same everything. And you can get it for 3,600 bucks. Would you buy it? And if you go, yeah, I'd buy it. Then you need to fix your car. But if you say, no, I wouldn't buy it, then don't fix it. Stop saying the car's not worth it. It's you're buying miles. The car is just the shell you're putting the money into. Would you buy 3,000 miles for $3,000? No. But would you buy 30,000 miles for three grand? Yeah, any of us would. And that's how we need to view it. We're buying miles. You, you can't put that on the customer and go, oh, they shouldn't do this. It's, just, it's crazy talk. So sorry, I got all passionate about it, but it's something I believe in. I see a lot of owners harm the customer and themselves and both parties lose. And then the customer goes into debt for 50 grand and buys a, a new car. And that's not a win for anybody. Yeah, no, no, that's a good response though. It's, it's like you said, it's important. Like we you know, it it hurts. It hurts because it, it's a lot of money, but it's but that's just it. Sometimes, like you know, I was reading Marconi, you know, his column for uh, April, and he talked about that very thing. So he says, he said, you know, hey, look, sometimes people get sticker shock because it's just a lot of money. It doesn't mean they don't want to pay for it. It's just it's a lot of money, and just gotta let them sit with it, make a decision, and come back and say, hey, let's repair this, this, that, and the, and the third. And then we'll repair this, this, that, and the third on a timeline that you feel like it should be done. You're exactly right. You're exactly right. But, you know, hey, Aaron, it's been great talking to you today. Uh, this, this is a great topic, you know, and I love to just, you know, all the passion you brought to the table. And uh, we'll look forward to doing it again next month when we talk about shops and branding. All right, buddy. Sounds great. Thank you. All right. Yep. Thank you. Take it easy. All right. All right.